We want to thank you today for joining us at Truth Chapel's podcast. I pray this word would bring you life. I pray that it would edify you, encourage you, and enlighten you. If you have a moment, please subscribe and leave us a review. We will be so grateful. God bless, and let this word speak to your heart today. Let's give Jesus a hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. You may be seated. I want to tell a quick story about two men. Some of you people my age may remember that old rock song called Monster Mash. It was written by Gary Paxton, rock star, drug addict. He received the Holy Ghost, and the first song he wrote is what I'm going to sing today. The other man is me, IV drug user, 21 years, into witchcraft and Satanism. Everything that was the opposite of Jesus is what I was. But the moment I said, Jesus, forgive me of my sins, he was right there. He was there all the time. Worship with me. Time after time I was searching for peace in some I was trying to blame all my ills on this world I was in. Oh, surface relationships used me till I was done in. But all the while someone was waiting to free me from sin.
feel the presence of the Almighty God in this place. What an honor and the privilege of mine it is to be here. I love the Chavis family. All of them are nuts. They're like my family and I know if I need something done, Amanda Chavis can Help me pray and it'll happen. If you'll stand, I'm going to try. I've been torn today and since I've gotten up this morning very early. But I'm just going to preach. I feel like Jesus gave me this. And what I wanted to preach would all be laughing because I love to laugh almost as much as I love to eat, so I'm going to try to hurry. Paul buffeted his body. I buffet mine. I know Brother Jordan's hungry. I mean, good grief. Man, that men's trip, I'm going next year, whether I'm speaking or not. We had a blast I don't know. I'm glad you couldn't see me, but I was having a hard time going up these stairs. I played so much golf. Right, Brother Brian? I hurt in places. We may have a healing line, and I'm first. What a great church. What a great pastor and family. And great music. See, we're apostolic. We have all that down pat. Lord, help me, Jesus. How long has it been since you fell on your face? So, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. How long has it been since something broke inside of you? Listen, I love to shout. I, I used to, when I first got in church, they'd sing Amazing Grace, and I'd run the aisles. But my life was never changed, shouting. But my life has been changed when I seen him for who he was. Matthew 1, verse 18. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was a spouse to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son. And thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying. Behold a virgin shall be with child. And shall bring forth a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Come on, somebody. God with us. 
God with us. I want you to lift your hands with me. By the authority of the Word of God and the power that's in your name, Jesus Christ. Oh God, I feel your presence right now and I'm asking you to begin to move upon us. Lord, you give us the power to bind and I bind any spirit right now that's not of you in the name of Jesus. I place it under my feet. Any demonic, unclean spirit either has to leave or be silent right now. I take dominion over you in Jesus' name. You give us the power to loose, and Lord, I'm loosing the gifts of the Spirit right now into this place. Lord, let the miracle signs following begin to happen right now in the name of Jesus. I loose you, Lord. I plead your blood over this congregation. I plead the blood of Jesus, and I come to tell Satan the blood of Jesus is against you. Come on, I come to say that your children are going to be saved. Come on, I come to say that your body is going to be healed. Come on, I come to say that your finances are going to be all right. Come on, I come to say that strength is going to come into your home like a river. And I speak it with authority in the name of Jesus Christ. Everybody say in Jesus' name. You may be seated. All through the centuries of time, it was prophesied over and over how the Messiah is going to come. For thousands of years through famines and droughts and pestilence and bondage by kings and kingdoms, Israel always held on to the hope and the promise that the Messiah will come and we will be free. Priests had prayed and prophets had foretold and prophesied about the one coming to set his people free. The one who would wipe away all the tears from their eyes. The one who the blind eyes would open and the deaf ears would unstop. And I come to tell you that 2,000 years ago, in a dark cave, it was carved, it was a hole, a stable carved into the side of a mountain, a place for sheep and barnyard animals, nasty, filthy, with the stench of animals in the air, the Messiah had finally arrived. Announced to shepherds and to wise men and kings would try to kill him, but he was now here, the Savior of all the earth, the Savior of all mankind. I can hear the prophet Isaiah's voice as it echoes down through the centuries of time. Isaiah 9, 6, For unto us a child is born. Who is that child, Truth Chapel? Oh, come on. Who is that child? And, the, and unto us a son is given. Who is that son? And the government shall be upon Jesus' shoulder. And Jesus' name shall be called. Wonderful. Counselor. The mighty God. The everlasting Father. Come on, the Prince of Peace. Don't you let anybody tell you Jesus wasn't the father. Come on, he was more than just a man. Come on, he was God in flesh. He was the father. He was the son. He was the Holy Ghost. John 1 and 1 tells us, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things, all things were made by him and without him was not anything made. Verse 14 tells us, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Come on, I come to let somebody, I come to tell the world, I come to tell the devil, my Jesus isn't some second person in a trinity. Now, when they got all these chat rooms and the worst ones are the ones that preachers are on. Some of these guys get on there and they try to tell you that you shouldn't preach just about one God. You shouldn't preach about sin. And they've baptized eight people in five years. Come on. 
I come to tell the world and I come to tell the enemy. I know who Jesus is. He is God and God alone. My God doesn't need any help. At the very beginning, it was him. At the very end, it's going to be him. Come on, because he's the Father, he's the Son, he's the Holy Ghost, he's the Shepherd, he's the door to the sheepfold, he's the bright morning star. Come on. He's the Lamb, he's the Lily. Come on, he's the Rose of Sharon. He's the Root of Jesse. going to make the devil so mad here in a minute. John 8 and 57, Jesus has been talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then said the Jews unto him, thou art not yet 50 years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. When he said, I am, come on, they started stepping back. He was telling them, I'm the one that talked to Moses in the burning bush. I'm the I am. Come on, I'm the one. I was there at the beginning. Come on, I come to let you know, here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. My Bible tells me that Satan believes in one God and trembles at his name. Come on, you need to learn that there's power in the name of Jesus. Diabetes flees at the name of Jesus. Cancer flees at the name of Jesus. Come on, fear has to run and hide when you begin to speak the name of Jesus. John 10 and 30, he said, I and my Father are one. Now, I've been told that I look like my dad. I'm not real proud of that. My dad had to chase a water fountain to get a drink. You liked that, didn't you, Jordan? I've been told I sound like him. I'm not as good a preacher, but I'm better looking. But when you see me, you don't see my dad. Come on. Jesus said, I and my father are one. They asked him in Matthew 16. Now, I know I'm just an old-time throwback preacher. I'm sorry. I don't apologize for it, but you better hang on. They asked him in Matthew 16, Jesus said, whom do men say that I am? They stumble, this is his chosen ones. They stumble around. They don't know what to say. Some say you're Isaiah, some Jeremiah, some say you're John the Baptist. Jesus looks at Peter and says, who do you say that I am? The Trinity concept is there's three persons in the, separate persons in the Godhead. Simon looks at him and says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Here's what Jesus tells him. Simon Barjona, flesh and blood, hath not revealed this to you, but my father who's in heaven. He's telling him that the father's not flesh and blood. Whoop, there goes that one person out of there. And if you believe that dove's a person, I'm not hunting with you. Come on, there's only one flesh and blood and his name was Jesus Christ. In the face of Jesus, you've seen the very face of God. Jesus was the fingers of God. Jesus was the hair of God. Jesus was the feet of God. Colossians 2.9 says, in, For in him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. At the age of 30, he began to perform his first of his miracles. Through this Jesus, blinded eyes would be opened. Deaf ears opened up. Come on, demons cast out. Everywhere Jesus went, you know what happened? He cast out devils. He raised the dead and he healed the sick. He went to the next place, you know what he did? He cast out devils. He raised the dead. 
He healed the sick. He said greater things that we're going to do than he did. Come on, you better learn how to cast out some devils. Come on, they're not always going to physically manifest themselves, but they're trying to creep into your house. You better walk in and cast out the devils of some of the games that your children are playing. Come on, you better go in and cast out the devils out of your house on some of the movies you're letting come into your household. Come on, you're letting the devil, the enemy, get a stronghold into your house. You better be some men and women of God. It says, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I don't care if it's unpopular, but we're getting that out of my house. There was a woman with the issue of blood. She had spent all of her money on doctors. Now, the older I get, I find out I got a lot of friends with the last name Ologist. I see more Ologists than I see Smiths. Come on. It's hard to believe somebody this physically fit would even need an Ologist. I could lose 50 pounds. You know what the doctor's going to tell me? You need to lose 50 pounds. I always walk into the doctor and they go, well, Mr. Mahaney, what seems to be your problem? I said, that's why I'm here. <laughs> if I knew what my problem was, I'd be fishing or playing golf. The Bible said that she had went to many physicians and wasn't even any better. She had been taught in Malachi about the Messiah that was coming, who was coming with healing in his wings. See, they called the edge of his garment the wings, and something stirred in her when she looked across the way and she seen Jesus coming out of the synagogue, surrounded by men because in her time and day, she wasn't even allowed to be over there. And not only that, she, everything she touched was unclean. But something stirred down inside of her and said, if you'll find him and you'll touch him, I'm going to heal your body. She got down in a place on her hands and knees where she wasn't even allowed, pushing her way through all the crowded feet as they were kicking here. Her knees were hitting her in the head, but she just kept on. As feet were stomping on her fingers, she finally found him and reached up to touch the hem of his garment. And when she touched the hem of his garment, immediately she was made whole. And Jesus turns and makes this statement to her. Daughter! Daughter! Come on, he went further than just being her healer. Come on, Daughter! Right then, he stepped on the cross and he became her father. He became her savior. I come to tell you, he wants to be more than just your healer in this place. He wants you to know that he's your father. He wants you to know that he wants to save you. You don't have to leave here today like you came in here because that same Jesus is here. You know, there's something about the name Jesus. You just can't say Jesus and not be moved. You can't say Jesus but a few times and he's going to come see you. There are almost 2,000 titles of God in the Bible, but there's only one name. Come on, the angels didn't know his name until God sent Gabriel to tell Joseph, Thou shalt call his name Jesus. Adam walked with him in the garden in the cool of the day. Now, I've had some lectures before at how the cool of the day is before daylight, and that's when I should pray. Well, the cool of the day is also in the evening. Maybe I like praying in the evening. I'm just going to tell y'all, God's very rarely spoke to me before daylight. I'm more of an 8 o'clock guy. And I'm so A-D-D-D-D-D-D-D-D. I can't sit through no service without walking out at least twice. I guess I'm the only one, you know, you get down to pray 
And in about 15 minutes, oh, Lord. Lord, I need you to touch Truth Chapel. Lord, touch Brother and Sister Chavis. And I get a stupid thought in my mind. Is the cow's horns in front of its ears or behind its ears? <laughs> what was that? Was that you, Lord? Ain't none of y'all do that. Oh, God. Help me, Lord. Lord, where's the cow's horns? They're on top of their ears. I had to go find out. That ruined a whole prayer meeting for me. See, what, what the thing is, the Lord spoke to me and said, I created you. I know you. Let's me and you have a relationship you quit basing your relationship on all these guys you hear preaching at these conferences that are holier than thou. Come on. Come on. I can't pray like him, but he can't pray like me. God said, let's me and you have a relationship, and I'll take you places that you've been dreaming about going to. Come on. Some of us can't fall on our face and pray a solid hour. I'm just being real. I know guys, they say they pray five, six hours a day. I don't know how they do it. But I can't pray like that. But God and me have a relationship. I might not pray an hour a day, but there ain't an hour going by in the day that I'm not stopping and praying and asking God to help me or move on somebody else. Come on, God is longing for you to have a relationship with him that's just about you and him. Come on, not about based on anybody else, but based on what you feel when you walk in there and you begin to have a conversation. Moses talked to him in the burning bush. Moses asked his name, and he just said, I'm the I am. He walked through the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They didn't know his name. Do you understand that the only things that burned on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they went in the fire was the ropes that bound them? Come on, sometimes God's got to send you through a little bit of fire because you got some bondage on you that needs burned off. He was revealed to Isaiah and all the universe held its breath when he began to write, thou shalt call his name. Angels were sitting on the edge of their seat. And he never got to his name. Lucifer didn't know his name until Calvary or he would have never let him get to the cross. Now Satan believes in one God and trembles at that name. And I come to tell you that 2,000 years ago, he was revealed to all humanity as he hung on a cruel cross of redemption and he paid for our sins with the crimson cash of his blood. And now we know him as our savior. We know him as our healer. Come on, we know him as our kinsman redeemer. We know him as our deliverer. Jesus is praying in the garden. Father, let, these, let this cup pass from me. He hears a commotion coming through the garden. And it's the soldiers from the Sanhedrin court. They knock him to the ground. They bind him. They have false charges against him of heresy and blasphemy. And they lead him in front of 70 men. These 70 men are not scoundrels. These 70 men are not horrible men. These 70 men try to live a devout life. They're priests. They're Pharisees, they're Sadducees. They know the Old Testament word for word. And he's led in front of these men, never says a word as they begin to try him for heresy and blasphemy. They find him guilty and he stands there all alone. And it's their custom that these 70 men will walk up now and spit in his face and slap him as hard as they can. Seventy men 
line up. And they walk up and heavy-handedly smack him across his face and spit on him. Can you imagine how his face, how swollen it was with strings of spit hanging from his beard? His eyes are black, his lips are split, his face is red and swollen as he stands there and takes 70 times. Now I know we've all read the scripture where it says, Lord, how often should we forgive? Jesus said 70 times seven. What we don't realize is when he makes that statement, it's exactly seven days before he stands in front of 70 men and he had already forgiven them. That's why he had nothing to say. You want to be like Jesus? You better learn to forgive the people that's not only done you wrong, but you got to learn to forgive the people that are about to do you wrong. It's more than just being forgiven, forgiving somebody that you know has offended you, but you better be ready to forgive the ones that are about to offend you. So it's their custom. They put him in prison because they have to take him the next morning to Pilate, the governor of Judea. They bring him before Pilate. He has been in prison all night long. He has went through horrible abuse and torture in that prison that night. So I come to tell you there's nothing that you've ever been through that he hasn't already endured. He walks in and Pilate begins to question him. Pilate's wife walks up and says, I've had a dream. You better not do anything against this man. Pilate washes his hands and says, I want nothing to do with him. And the Jews begin to say, let his blood be on our hands and our children's hands. It's their custom at this time of the year. The governor can release somebody for somebody else. You see, the two thieves were with Barabbas. It should have been them three dying. And Pilate says, you want Jesus somebody who had never done one sin? Or do you want Barabbas, a murderer and an upriser? And they begin to scream at Jesus, crucify him, crucify him. Give us Barabbas. They push him through the crowd because here is the customs. Here are the laws that the Romans would do to people found guilty of these crimes. If you were found guilty and you was not a Roman citizen, the first thing they would do is scourge you. Everybody that was ever crucified was scourged first, except for women. They would just crucify them. So they would push you through the crowd. The crowd's pulling out handfuls of his beard. They're hitting him in the face. Isaiah said his visage was marred worse than anyone's. And they push him to a big hall, a big courtyard behind Pilate's hall. That would, Josephus said it would hold hundreds and hundreds of people. And there's a massive crowd in that hall waiting as they push Jesus towards this one pillar standing in the middle of it. Waiting around that pillar is a squad of soldiers. These soldiers are trained to torture and to maim and to hurt. It's generational. Their fathers have taught them how to do this and their grandfathers have taught their fathers. They have a long table sitting beside that pillar with all kinds of instruments of pain and torture. They fall on Jesus and they knock him to the ground and the first thing they do is strip him naked. This was a modest rabbi, a modest teacher. He had never been immodest in his life. Now he has stood up naked in front of his family, naked in front of his peers, naked in front of the whole world. They take his left wrist and as high as they can, they tie it to that pillar. And then they stretch him and they tie his right wrist to the right side of the pillar. His feet are barely touching the ground and they walk to that table. History says the first thing they would do would take a club. Two of them would take clubs and they'd begin to beat him and beat him, beat him, knocking him senseless. Then they'd take an eight or nine foot long ox hide whip. This wasn't designed to tear the flesh, but they wanted to soften up the flesh so they could rip it from his body. One on the left, one on the right, and they laid that whip across his naked body. Red, angry whelps begin to jump up on his flesh. He screams out in pain, and for 15 minutes or so, they beat him until these two men are out of breath. Two more take their place. One of them would grab a flagrum, 
which is a wooden handle with long strips of leather coming out. Had pieces of sheet bone and and glass and pieces of wire. The other one would usually grab what they called a scorpion. It had one piece of leather coming out with a metal hook to lay into his body and rip the flesh off of him. They laid that flagrum across his back and it hangs in his back and flesh. They have to tear it and rip it and a red mist of blood and flesh flies through the air as if the other guy lays that scorpion on his back. They begin to beat him and beat him until his ribs start showing out of his back. You could look in and see his bowels. You could look in and see all of his organs and the blood would pull up to where they had lacerated his back and begin to pour out on the ground. And they two more would take their place and they would continue beating him. They called it the half death. Not because they beat you half to death, but because half of everybody beaten by the Romans would die. And they beat him and they lay him open. And the prophet Isaiah's voice begins to echo through the centuries of time. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. Come on, let me tell you, he didn't have to be beat for me to be saved, Brother George. The cross was for our salvation. He was beat because he knew I needed more than a savior, that I needed a healer. He knew that there was gonna be a drug addict named Nick Mahaney bound by so many things. So he said, go ahead, lay that whip across my back. And I come to tell you, he's already paid the price. You don't have to walk out of here in sickness. You don't have to walk out of here in bondage. You don't have to walk out of here addicted. He's already paid the price. It's not about Nick Mahaney or Court Chavis, but it's about Jesus They cut him loose. He falls to the ground. When he hits the ground, blood splatters everywhere. He's going into shock. He's in such pain. I study the crucifixion. Now, I'm not a doctor, but they said all his nerves would have been raw and open and that his whole body would have been shaken in pain starts throwing up because he's fading in and out of shock. And they drag him up to his feet. They put his own clothes on him, put a crown of thorns on his head. And they take a cross member, weighs anywhere from 100 to 120 pounds, and they lash it to his shoulders. The historians say that at the time of the death of Jesus, that there was such a wood shortage that everybody used oil and that the Romans already had in place everything to be able to crucify people and they would use it over and over and over. They push him through the crowd. He's weak from loss of blood. He's thirsty. He's in agony. And they take him to a place called Golgotha. Golgotha means the place of the skull. Not because it was shaped like a skull, because they literally translation the skull means that they think that's the place where the head of Goliath was buried. Come on, Jesus' seed had already defeated the skull of Goliath. Now Jesus was about to be planted on that same giant to let you know that there's nothing that you can go through. Come on, that his blood can't take you through. Come on, there's no fear that you can go through that his blood can't take you through. Simon helps him to the top of the hill. You see, it wasn't uncommon to see people crucified when Jesus would have been in his early 20s. They had an uprising in his home area in Galilee. They sent in legions of soldiers. They crucified 3,000 men when when he was in his early 20s. He knew what was going to happen to him. He wasn't afraid of the crucifixion when he said, let this cup pass from me. He didn't want to taste my sin. He didn't want to taste your sin. 
He wasn't afraid of the beating. He just didn't want to taste the vile, putrid sins of me. They laid him down on that cross, member, And they would take and tie his right bicep as tight as they could. They would tie his right forearm, stomp on his wrist. And they'd take a seven-inch spike and they would drive it into his hand. All your nerves end in your hands and feet. So the reason they lashed him to the cross, they in history they say that because if they didn't tie him, when that nail pierced their hands, they would flop so high on the ground that they would tear themselves loose from the cross. They'd take a loop and they'd pull that left wrist until they dislocated his shoulder or his elbow. They'd lash his left bicep, left forearm. He's laying there naked as they stomp on his wrist and they drive another nail into his hands. In front of them are stakes. See, the Romans were masters of cruelty. They didn't crucify you way up high. They wanted you to be able to look in the face of your family as you hung there suffering and dying. They say that if you had children or babies, they would cut your baby's throat and hang it around you as you hung on the cross. They would pick him up laughing as his hands are trying to tear free. The blood is pouring out and they walk up to that upright stake and drop him. That back that's open comes to a stop on that rough-hewn cross. He screams and cries out in agony. You know, the artist's pictures show him way up high with one foot on top of the other. But the, the bones that they have found from first century crucifixions, none of them had a bone through the top of their feet. They would bend your knee and they'd take the point of a nail and they'd take a square piece of wood and put it at the point of that nail and they'd place it in between your heel and your ankle and drive it into the cross through your Achilles tendon. They'd move to the left, do the same thing. Now he's crucified. Maggots are coming out of his wounds. The sweat and blood is pouring into his eyes. His lungs have compressed down. The only way he can breathe is to pull up with those battered hands and push up with those battered feet. Take a deep breath and sag back down for six hours. You know what he did manage to say? Father, would you forgive them? They don't know what they're doing. Six hours. Three hours in the baking sun until the sun said, I can't look at this no more. And the darkness covered the earth. He cries out, it's finished. He wasn't saying he was finished. He said that dispensation was finished. And when he said it was finished, the veil in the temple tore from the top of the bottom because when he said it was finished, the Spirit of God burst out of the holies of holies because no longer was you going to need turtle doves. Come on, no longer was you going to need a pigeon. No longer were you going to need a bull. No longer was you going to need a goat because he had sacrificed himself. Now it was going to be his blood. His blood was precious blood. His blood washed our sins away. His blood. And he did all of that so you could spend eternal life with him. Now I got news for you. We're all going to have eternal life. Some of us are going to be with Jesus. But I'm preaching to some right now that you're not going to make it. Oh, and it's going to get quiet on me right now. But I'm just following the Holy Ghost. Come on, you're going to have eternal life. But when you walk up to him, he's going to open up the books. He's going to say, hey, I see your wife's in here. Hey, I see your grandmother made it. I don't see your name. But Lord, I was in Truth Chapel every Sunday. No, bind him hand and foot and cast him into outer darkness where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And tall, bright angels are going to grab you and there's nothing that you can do 
as they bind you and they cast you into the fire of hell. And as you're screaming and you're falling in hell, demons are going to be chanting your name. You're here forever. You can't get out. I knew if I could just keep you from going to the altar. I knew if I could just soothe your conscience into making you think it's all right. I'll just go on Sunday. I'll put a little bit in the offering that I had you. Come on, there's going to be just as many people go to hell off a church pew as there's going to be it going out of a crack house because some of you got to get your hearts right. God sent me today to tell you time is not on your side. You better get ready to meet him because as sure as there's a heaven, there's a hell. I preached a men's conference in Texas and I met a man at that men's conference. He was raised in a church. His dad was a preacher. His mother was a Sunday school teacher. He said, well, I just got tired of, I thought everything was just rules and regulations. When I turned 18, I told him I'm not coming back. He began to, he got involved in drugs and alcohol and he started selling drugs for the cartel in Phoenix. He owed him money and they started looking for him. He told me I was sitting on my couch watching a movie with my girlfriend. We were expecting somebody. Somebody knocked on the door. He said, when I opened the door, there was a man with a bandana standing there with a 38. And from right here, boom, 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 boom. Five shots. Four of them hit him here. One of them passes over his shoulder and hits his girlfriend in the head, kills her instantly. He says, I hit the ground and my mind is telling me, run, get out of here. You got to move. And he said, I couldn't move nothing. He said, all I could hear was this gurgling, bubbling sound coming out of me and it was me. And I could feel my blood leaving my body. He said, the last thing I remember is him standing over me. Boom. Neighbors heard the commotion. They got him to the hospital. He showed me the picture somebody had taken the moment he died. He said, all of a sudden I lifted up out of my body and I could see my mother at the end by the wall by the hospital praying, God, don't take my son. God, he's not ready. He said, I could see the doctors working on me. And all of a sudden I was up above the hospital and he said, then I was in darkness. He said, I was afraid and I could see this light way in the distance. He said, in my mind, I was thinking, well, I've heard about this. People always say they see a bright light. He said, and that light started coming towards me. He said, when it got there, it spoke to me. He said, you wouldn't live for me. You rejected me. This is not for you. He said, immediately, I was shot down a dark tunnel. He said, I was going so fast, I was trying to grab anything I could to stop, and I couldn't. He said, all of a sudden, these demons would reach up. When I'd slow myself down, and they would grab me. He said, they were ripping my flesh, and they were laughing in my face. He said, I was hitting them as hard as I could. It didn't matter. He said, all, off in the distance, I saw this, these flames. He said, it looked like worms in the middle of them. He said, the closer I got, it was people waving in the flames. He said, they turned and looked at me. He said, don't come here. Please don't come here. And he said, all of a sudden I was gone. I was back in the hospital. His mom had prayed him back. He told me, he said, I want you to go tell everybody that there is a hell. And you tell them that if they don't get their hearts right with God, that, that, that Satan and his demons are waiting. Come on, somebody. I'm telling you right now, I'm fighting some things up here. Come on, I wanted to preach something else, but the Lord says, no, you're going to go pull somebody out of the pits of hell. Come on, some of you be coming to church. You got one foot in the world, and you got one in the church, and you think that you're all right, but I come to tell you that you're not all right. Come on, you may not want to ever hear me again, but I come to tell you, you're not going to walk up in judgment and say, that man didn't tell me. Come on, you better repent. You better be baptized in the name of Jesus. You better receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You better get sin out of your life. Yeah. 
You can have your skirt down to here and your hair down to here and have sin in your heart and you're going to go to hell. I'm fighting for your soul. Come on, I'm telling the devil, I'm not letting you go. There's a reason you came in here. Come on, I'm talking to a young man right now. You better bow your knee today. Come on, I'm talking. I'm fighting for you. Come on, you better quit thinking that you're cool, that you're hard, that you're tough. You better find Jesus in this place. Coasting along, thinking, oh, it's all right. I come to tell you, no, it is not all right. Doing your little patty cake on Sunday. On Monday, you don't even look like you ever went to church in your life. You talk one language on Sunday, but on Monday, nobody knows you go to church because you talk just like the rest of them. You act just like the rest of them. You smoke just like the rest of them. You drink just like the rest of them. Oh, I've got time. Oh, I've got time. No, you don't have time. Come on, it's appointed every man to die. Then the judgment. Come on, go ahead. Go ahead. Come on, I'm fighting for you right now. Come on, I'll take on every devil in this place. I'll take on every devil in Loganville because I don't want to see you lost. I want us to stand. Stand. Who do you think you are? You think you can fool your wife? You probably can. You think you can fool your husband? You probably can. But he sees you. He created you. He holds your breath in his hands. You better get some sin out of your life this morning. Come on, I come to give you an opportunity right now. I ain't asking you to join a preacher's, or shake a preacher's hand, join the church. I'm asking you to come to the altar and repent because your salvation is nearer than you, than you expect. Come on, judgment falls on the house of the Lord. That's what the word of God says. Some of you haven't repented in months. There's some of you that haven't spoken in tongues in a year. And you still sit there and not move. Come on, this altar's open right now. We want to thank you again for joining us on the Truth Chapel podcast. May you have a blessed day and walk in the favor of the Lord.